Father, we thank you so much for the beautiful, sovereign plan that you had for us today. To be able to all be here, for those of us that are followers of you, to understand the truth of the gospel, to be able to stand here to worship, to give glory to your name and to your name alone. To not be worried about the sin that's in our lives that's separating us from you, knowing that we need to ask uh, to have you continually expel it from our lives, to be able to help us to uh, overcome it, that is true, but to be free from the eternal consequences of us. For those that are followers of you, we are blessed with that truth. Father, if there is somebody here who does not know you, I ask that you would just put a, a burden on their heart to inquire, to ask more, to understand the truth of this gospel, so their lives would be changed like mine has, so that they can be like me, to no longer be at war with you, to be able to experience your love in its fullest capacity to be able to come to be a, uh, a person who knows more of who you are day by day by the continual reading of your word and the application of it to our lives. I ask that you take away any distraction, whether it be a, a life circumstance that's outside of this room or something in here, whether it be uh, me or anybody else, that we could just put ourselves um, focused on your word and whatever you would have for us today. Let that be our goal. Let that be our focus. I ask these things in your son's name. Amen. Thank you. Um, so we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. Now, while you turn there, um, I'm going to do something dangerous. Absolutely dangerous. Uh, and if you knew me uh, and the paths that I've had um, with academics, you would know that that would be true. Uh, because I want to talk to you very briefly and very quickly about math. And uh, I don't do math very well. Um, in fact, I gave some of the people a hard time in my Sunday school classroom today because we kept talking about it. And I already knew what I was going to be inevitably talking about today. When I talk about math, I just want to use the simple word of a formula. Today, we're going to be trying to talk about um, the formula that's going to connect us to unity. And unity and humility. And that we think about, okay, well, it's not like it's 2 plus 2 equals 4, but we think of that harder stuff where they had X's and Y's and other things like that, where you're trying to make sure you get the right stuff, and then once you get it out, then you realize your answer's correct, and you're excited because maybe for the first time for some of us, you got a full worksheet done correctly when, when it came to that kind of stuff. I struggled with math for the last couple of years, and any time I could get a correct answer, it was exciting. And uh, uh, so when I use the word formula, I don't do so lightly. So we, we won't get too much stuck on that math stuff. I am, after all, as a teacher, um, uh, a Bible teacher. So they don't let me talk about much about grammar either. You'll be able to tell on occasion from a sentence that comes out of my mouth that that's true. Uh, but that's the beauty. God gives us strengths and he gives us weaknesses uh, to remember the uh, gifts come from him. And our weaknesses remind us that we still need to rely on him for that stuff as well. So when we think of this formula, though, for unity... We're going to find that here within Philippians uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Now, we all know that there's lots of ways to have unity. We can have unity if we're thinking of our favorite sports team. Now, don't worry, not all of you are sports fans. Neither am I for professional sports. But there's other ways that we can have unity. Maybe we even think relationally. We want to have unity with our boss. We want to have unity with our coworkers. We want to be able to move forward on whatever the project is at hand. So we can be successful. Uh, maybe it's, uh, um, you know, there's Brandon and Stephanie yesterday got married. They eventually got to a point where they had some unity that they thought, well, maybe we could actually get married. And then they solidified that decision yesterday. And that was a beautiful picture of how God can use two people to come and uh, be like-minded on a beautiful thing of marriage. And then, of course, as parents, we can be excited about unity because uh, when your spouse is on the same page with you on 
discipline or rearing of a child and things like that. That's comforting. And, and those great and wonderful and maybe uh, uh, exciting moments is when your kids have a moment of realization and they're unified with you as well. Yes. <laughs> Spoken like a true father. Uh, I, uh, I just chuckle because I, I, we, we look for unity in everything. We look for unity, and it comes out in small ways. We want to be appreciated by others. We want them to be united, at least in the thought that maybe we're okay. When we think of it, though, biblically, um, it can become more confusing. And that can become easy to understand because of sin, because there's more people included. Um, But when we look for the answer for things, hopefully the blessing that we have is that when we're looking to have something to give us clarity— to define something for us here within our church. We can be unified on the fact that it comes from God's word. And we can be unified by uh, the truth of God's word and that that is what will help us propel forward in the midst of any turmoil that may be there. A caution, though, that I would have for you. That is my aim here, is to give you an example from God's word. But if you find yourself in a position where somebody doesn't agree with you on the inerrancy of Scripture or just even general applications of the Christian life from his word, then understand that your base, your foundation, is vastly different. And to find that unity is going to be impossible. So please uh, uh, be excited with me this morning that we have God's word to define that for us so it's not Rob Lang's opinion, so it's not anybody else's in this room's opinion, but it is God's. And, and that's the beautiful thing. At least I like to think so, since I am a, a quite aware of how imperfect I am. So I'd like to just read the passage here with you very quickly, and then we will break a good part. So verse 2, Make my joy complete by being of same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, and do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. When we look at unity, there's reasons and, and motivations for why we would have those. And that's where first one really helps us. But what I always like, and I remember my uh, professor from college reminding me that you know, when you see the word therefore, it's going back to something. And so at verse one, it's communicating us to look back at verse uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 27, and that uh, conducting yourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. So because of we are conducting ourselves in the manner of the gospel, we can therefore start to do some of these things and understand some of these next couple of verses. So we're breaking this down and we're seeing it piece by piece. There's four things I want to give you for reasons. First is if there's any encouragement in Christ. It's a beautiful sounding phrase, but when you remember um, that God is being perfect and holy, but gives us a nice way to go back to. Because once again, me as one man cannot give you um, a perfect image, but we have Jesus Christ for that. So we have Christ as as an encouragement. When we look within that deeper context of what that means, there's a picture of coming alongside, giving assistance to somebody, offering comfort or counsel. When we think of this, this is once again in the context of a church. That's what Paul's doing here. He's writing to a church. He's encouraging them how to be unified together. So there are aspects that you can, of course, use with your unsaved brethren when you might be in your workplace or something like that. But this at the core of things is about unity here within this building, within our fellow uh, group of believers. 
So the idea of coming alongside, if there have any reason for unity, well, for the idea of coming alongside, being encouragement to other. Uh, just even thinking of that uh, phrase of alone, any encouragement in Christ, should not essentially the divine impact of Christ be enough for us to maintain unity? When we think upon a desire to have unity with each other, is it because it's God's desire? Should that not be reason alone? Yes, absolutely. But Paul still gives us more. Still gives us more to think about, more to connect with. So not only is it encouragement of Christ and desire and passion of, of God, but is there any consolation of love, for reason of love, when we have a brotherhood or a sisterhood within our congregation with each other, what we have is the opportunities for genuinely close relationships, opportunities for us to be able to speak truth and genuine concern into other people's lives, to be able to see where they are hurting, to be able to see where they are doing well, to encourage them, to exhort them, and all of those things. Once again, of course, going back to God's word, but that for a reason and for a desire to bring love to how us come together on that. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. When we are looking at love, we first know that it's demonstrated because God first showed love towards us. We understand that that love is undeserving. We didn't earn it. The gospel clearly gives that to us. I did not earn that love. When we think of First uh, John, there's a beautiful, uh, uh, let's put it this way, from my humble opinion, John does a really good job of talking about love. And, and I really enjoy looking at 1 John chapter 4. And there are so many verses that I would want to uh, uh, poke at, so I won't. I'll just talk about the chapter as a whole. But it reflects that picture of knowing that love was first demonstrated by God. And that because of it being first demonstrated by God, we have a better understanding of what that love is. And therefore, we naturally should be showing love to each other. And that there is even to the point of where you have Paul who connects back in 2 Corinthians uh, 5, 13-14, that says, because of my devotion to God, because of how much he has loved me, I essentially, he's saying, I look insane. I look crazy to other people. And wouldn't that make sense of Paul? The amount of persecution and the situations that he went through? It seems silly. You have people in this world that might look at you, understand, not understanding why you believe what you believe, but because of the love and the change that's happened in your life, that we would be so devotedly um, chasing after God that people would see us as insane, to see us as not making any sense. Why? Because they lack the impact of the love of God that you have. Makes them question, makes them wonder, and gives an obvious opportunity to share the gospel. The last and final point that I want to talk about for reasons that we have here is if there be any fellowship of the Spirit. So as believers, we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and through this, we know that we are all connected to God. While we might be different parts, we are of one body from 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen. So if there be any, any reason, it is understanding that we should be having unity because God has made us to be one body, to be uh, a reflection, yes, of him, but him in this picture of the body, he is our head. He is the one that we chase after, the one we follow after. So for these reasons, it's encouragement in Christ, consolation of love, and fellowship of spirit. If, and uh, with those pictures so far, we get this picture of, once again, of how that unity uh, has a reason, has a motive, has a drive to get us there. And finally, with affection and compassion. Now, with any affection or emotions that are reflected in Christ, we understand that those are, are controlled emotions. Um, and that one, they would be ones that are marked by examples of Christ uh, and also through his word. So when we have 
emotions that draw within us, we can uh, 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 need to be mindful of them because our flesh can be so easily to corrupt everything. It can corrupt our thoughts. It can corrupt our, our emotions. And while we might be passionately driving towards something, it may be driven to the wrong way. In this uh, picture, sometimes we hear of in the idea of, of unity, we, we drive in a, in a passion, and we want to call it sometimes righteous anger. But I re- ask you to reflect upon all that you know of God and what he's shown through his words and how many times he more often took a step back uh, and there was a, only uh, uh, a very small amount of time where we see any big, drastic motions uh, and righteous anger, which, let's be fair, we are flawed human beings, and Jesus Christ was perfect. So it's very hard for us to know and discern those every time. Uh, but I encourage us, when we look for having any affection or compassion, for reason to care for each other, that we do so when we mark those emotions by God's word, not by our own Uh, logical conclusions, not by our own assumptions off of past experiences, but mark them by the truth of God's word. Uh, And reminds me of Philippians 1.8, where it has an expression that within this desire of affection and compassion that we can have for each other, and that motivation for that unity is that we are having a deep longing, uh, as Paul did, having a deep longing and expressing how he deeply loved and cared for these Philippians. Uh, when we are thinking of this love that we might have for others, uh, I, I'm wondering what challenges uh, us to, to, to remind us daily that that love needs to be motivated um, by Christ. And so once again, it, all of our pictures keep going back to who God is because it's only by the mercies of God that we can actually be able to truly have that appropriate passion, to have those things, because on a human-driven principle, we only have fleshly-driven things, earthly things, things that do not reinforce um, good, godly character. So while we might have, with ourselves, uh, uh, look to desire to pursue and have motivations uh, that give us for unity, there's an implication here that I want us to think about. If we fail at desiring and being motivated for unity by seeking to be encouragement through Christ or having love or uh, being realizing that we are a fellowship within one spirit or that we can have a, a deep affection and compassion for another, if we fail in being motivated that way, there's this implication that if we don't seek for unity and we aren't motivated, then we're sinning. There's this backhanded understanding that if you don't do it this way, then you aren't doing it correctly. If you don't do it this way, if there is any other motivation, any other drive that you have that is outside of the word of God, then you're failing. You are sinning. You are doing a disservice, not only to yourselves, but to every other member of that body. We talked about that and that we were reminded that we are of one body. Uh, with uh, that beautiful picture of Christ, we have uh, that connection and that display before us. Now, as we move forward, we see how Paul continues to connect with them personally. And so he makes a request for them. And as he starts to get into verse 2, to make my joy complete. Make my joy complete by striving for this unity. And so he gives us four benchmarks, uh, measurements to go by. Uh, look with me again in verse 2. Telling them to be of same mind or like-mindedness. Uh, I, I find myself excited when I can be of like-mindedness with my wife or with my classroom, or my youth group, because then it's just so much easier to move forward in something, right? When you're like-minded in something, you, you cover the first step. 
you are essentially putting your thoughts towards the same thing. You are thinking the same thing. And Paul is very serious about the idea of thoughts and being in the same page because he mentions it 25 times just alone in this book of Philippians. And he's striving that we would have a common understanding and a true agreement with one another. When we are seeking to have unities, we can start to see how that unfolds when us as a congregation are thinking and aiming towards the things, seeing that we can have the same thoughts, measured, hopefully, once again, by God's word of being of like-mindedness. Then, as we look for that, even our own lines outside of that, we want that, of course, professionally. We want those things personally. We want those with our spouses. We want those with our children. We want those things with our um, employers or employees. But the reality, again, once again, is that if we are thinking this as a church, this is where hopefully, and as we understand systematics from God's word, it should more perfectly outflow. So Colossians 3.2 reminds us that uh, conflict comes from the believers in the church. So what does that mean? Well, if there's a problem in the church of not having unity, it's because of somebody in it. God didn't just decide, you know what, let's just test you guys and we're going to throw some disunity in. Here's whatever. And we can find anything to blame it on. We can blame it on the carpet. We can blame it on the music. We can blame it on, I don't know, anything else. You probably have some more ideas in your head. The point is, is that it's not an object. The problem for disunity and the failure to have like-mindedness comes within ourselves because we choose to fail at remembering the whole group. Romans 12.3 reminds us that we are to be given, all given a measure of faith and that we aren't to think highly of ourselves. That truth and reminder of being like-minded remembers that I am not elevated. Yes, do I have the opportunity uh, and the gift to be able to preach to you this morning? Absolutely. But by no means are my thoughts about how something should be makes mine better than yours because they're mine. My faith uh, was equally given to me as your faith was given to you. And that was something that, whether it's grace, mercy, faith, all those things were given to us all equally by God, uh, which, once again, takes that pressure off of, it's not about a matter of my works. It's not a matter of what I do, but it's what God gives us. Uh, Maintaining our same love as our second measurement. We talk about being of same mind. Now we're talking about those emotions. Having a... um, eternal desire to choose to seek the welfare of others. When we are putting our focus then out to others, um, we're supposed to be doing so equally. That's the hard part, right? Because, well, I mean, I I really love this person, or I really love this person, and this person's harder to love. We can even think of our own siblings. They were ones that we might have got along better with, whatever. But that's an incorrect thought process. When we think of uh, emotions, there can be people who are easily, we'll say, more emotionally attractive to be around. People we like to be around. I like to be around my wife, well, maybe a little bit more than the rest of you guys. It makes sense, right? I like her. I attached her to my life for the rest of, uh, of you know, my time here on earth. And so that's a, a, a complete an understanding there. But my desire for um, liking my wife, for that special relationship that we have, when I see Jessica and I see all of you as my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, we are all joint heirs with Jesus. We are all of equal eternal standing. And that is a beautiful, wonderful picture. And when we are here in this church, I need to be equally pushing and desiring to have you guys cared for, to be loved equally, to not be showing um, my desire to put one of you above uh, the other. Uh, that, now, that shows not just in words, so it's not just me saying it out loud, but it comes also with indeed, with an action. Um, uh, uh, when we get that from 1 John 3, 18, 
And we also know that to do anything less than trying to love people equally, which we might fail at, but in a desire to do so, if we desire to do anything less than that, then we find ourselves with this picture from 1 John 3.14 that says, okay, there might be a need to examine one's heart. Are we lacking an actual true understanding of salvation? Within us internally, God is working and driving us to push and show love to everyone equally. Not that you're always going to get along with each other. You might have differences on sports teams or decisions for other things in your life or even parenting decisions, right? That's not what measures unity within the body. So what measures it is having that same love, same affection. Also being united in spirit or being one-souled to live in a selfless harmony, you know, meaning that we have such a deep love and concern for who God is together jointly that we are excited about his gospel, we're excited about his word, we're excited about his plan for us as a people. And that we're not going to let insignificant things divide us, not to allow things to deter us from having that unity. And our final thought and a way to measure is that we would have be intent on one purpose. If you think of it this way, when we recognize that we can be thinking towards the same thought, then being measured by our thoughts by, by God's word, filtering them, being of the same thought, now we come to our desires of, to, uh, of loving, showing affection towards each other, making sure that that is equal. We have our emotions in check. And then now we uh, understand that being united in spirit, we see that God is actually the person that is keeping us together. Uh, it's not necessarily joint interest, but it's, it's God who keeps us together. We have this picture of, and circle that starts to come into play. The circle of unity actually then brings us back to being intent on one purpose, one goal, which gets us back to our mind. And so as we realize that we have this circle, it kind of continues to reinforce itself. So when we are being of same mind, maintaining the same love, and united in spirit, by the time we get back to being and realizing our purpose of, of how, who God is and wh- how he has placed us here, we're back, circling back again. And, and this is not the definition of insanity. This is a good thing. We want to stay there. Uh, so what I am reminded of is in Colossians three twelve through 16, and I want to read that passage for you and this idea of thinking of one thought. So as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing one another, forgiving each other, and whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also you should. Now behold, all these things are put on to put on love, which is in the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called to one body, and be thankful. And let the word of Christ, which dwelly within you, and with all wisdom, teaching and monitoring one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, in this picture of unity, I hope you understand and you're continuing to see, this is talking about you as an individual, right? It's what you're bringing to the table. And so this is what you're doing. You're forgiving people when they have wrongs against you. You're the one that's focusing your thoughts to try and, and your emotions and remembering that you're unified within uh, the Spirit. And so this is t- connecting back to us and understanding that the measurement and unity, not only that we define within our, uh, a whole and collective group, but that we're also measuring it within ourselves. We're seeing that the actions that we are in charge of, just like our parents told us when we were kids, are our own. We're not in charge of our brothers or our sisters. We're not even in charge of our parents. Well, Mom, Dad, I just don't think you did that right. It's not our place. 
And it's, and it's one of those things where it can be frustrating, but in this idea of unity, this is where you start to see that picture of humility. We're worried about ourselves, what we need to be contributing, what we need to be pushing forward in. So as we think then and transition out of this picture of how we measure it, we have some intellectual people that are happy because we've got our base. We've got our uh, understanding from the Bible of having our thoughts and our emotions in check. But we still have some needed more application and some action to give some follow-through. So why not have a list of do's and don'ts, right? The Bible is often criticized for those that don't like it, which is including ourselves at times, about having a list of do's and don'ts. Uh, And so it's easy for us to see some of these things and not like them, to um, not want to work out our thoughts or our emotions and attitudes in a corrective way. But uh, in these next two verses, we do find that there are some do's and some don'ts. Um, So we'll uh, uh, actually have two slides of those. So there's got two points of uh, do's and don'ts. And of course, we'll start with the don't. So in verse uh, 3 and 4, it communicates then, do, you know, doing nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Now, when we think of the picture of selfishness and uh, choosing to do uh, um, our own will over God, we go back to the very beginning. In Genesis, we have that first picture given to us of the uh, most perfectly made human beings and the highest uh, 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 angel in authority failing and choosing to go after their own will over God's. So Satan chose to desire to rise himself above God, and by his own selfishness chose to go against the will of God, and Adam and Eve did the exact same thing. Now, that's we're really tempted, but aren't we all? Some of us, we don't need anybody to help us with our falling into sin. We're really good at doing it on our own. And that's the that, uh, important conclusion is that it's the simple, basic truth of, are you going to choose to do what God's will is, what he would want for you, or are you going to do your way? Period. So in this, don't do anything out of selfishness connects back to that picture of remembering God's way or mine. It doesn't have to be really more complicated than that. Uh, when we start to look inwardly, um, uh, we see how the selfishness within us and the decisions we make easily corrupt us quickly. But what we sometimes tend to forget is that the actions that we have that we make within ourselves, in, uh, even internally, while eventually uh, uh, we may not re- realize until it's too late, we, it's good for us to remember right now, they do affect those that are around us. Your selfishness, your sin that we do in secret, does make an effect on those, those that are around you, the ones that are closest to you first, obviously. Um, but it does have an effect. And so uh, when we think of this picture uh, and of, of unity, and trying to keep this picture of unity, I, I, I remember the book of First Corinthians. So the, uh, we have the, uh, the city of Corinth and the church of Corinth where Paul is writing to them and he's encouraging them to pass all these divisions. So there's a whole bunch of disunity. That's probably one of the greatest churches to find a lot of problems in when we look at all the New Testament. And so they were con- constantly having conflicts and, and, and disagreements uh, on doing some of the right things. And what Paul is trying to connect even with these guys here is that they only have a small little dispute, which you see, and I believe it's in chapter 4. Uh, and, and even though it's just a small little dispute, and that's, that's one criticism, that's where it starts. It starts with one person, a few people, choosing to go against that unity. And we start creating these divisions and these things, and we have the crazy thoughts of, well, I'm of Peter, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, that the uh, uh, Corinth church had. 
And it becomes to take too much of our focus because following out the teachings of Paul or about these other you know, men of God are good things to see how God is using them to communicate truth. But to become so obsessed or so taken aback by their teachings to divide ourselves up takes away from that unity that God has to desire for us for. We can do that within our own church. We can have our favorite teachers. We can have our favorite deacons. We can have our favorite singers, favorite whoever, maybe, you know, favorite greeter. This person shakes better or whatever. I mean, we can all, it's all sorts of silly things that we can choose to divide over. And, and what we are understanding is that it takes something small. So with this empty conceit thought at the end here, it's remembering, too, then, that we're not just going after our own selfish desires, but there's this failure because we're also now trying to see it as a personal glory. We're trying to find ways to make ourselves look good, um, uh, to be able to look wise in our own eyes. That's a uh, uh, point of example to uh, pick at me a little bit. That's why you haven't uh, heard any illustrations so far on here's all the well, well and uh, uh, ornate ways that Pastor Rob has been able to consistently be able to produce unity to all those that are around him uh, 100% of the time because, well, I can disrupt unity. And that's the reality of life. We all can do this. When we look at the do, so the contrast, we're to do things uh, with uh, a humility in mind. We are desiring to be the opposite of pride, the opposite of our selfishness, our vain, empty conceit. We are desiring to have the same affection that the Old Testament seemed to have towards this trait of humility, and that even Moses, with his flaws, was called humble. That it was things that, uh, that David strived for, things, uh, 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 Proverbs that uh, Psalm, uh, sorry, Solomon uh, had written, and that these were things that, that the men of the Old Testament were striving for, to have humility. 1 Peter 5 uh, 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 and 6 reminds us that we're to be humbling ourselves under the hand of God, and so that it's not our job to lift ourselves up, but in fact it is under God's timing and his will that we would be lifted up. When we are uh, regarding ourselves um, uh, as more important, um, we realize that that's the natural quality of man. But to do the opposite is the unnatural. It is what God has desired for us to do. And so within this contrast, um, uh, we're remembering that it was Paul who is this great theologian who wrote so many books of the Bible, who himself had said, from 1 Corinthians 15.9, that he is the least of the apostles and is not fit to be called one. Or from Ephesians 3.8, that he is the least of the saints. And then in 1 Timothy 1.15, he's the chief of sinners. So who am I? I don't have First or Second Robert or uh, any of those books in the Bible. I'm nobody, it feels like, in comparison. And, and the reality of it is, this is how we're supposed to be seeing ourselves. To be putting other ones, uh, people around us is more important it's not about me. It's not the drive to make Rob Lang look good in the eyes of Poland Village Baptist Church. So, with our uh, next phrasing of don'ts and do's, uh, we're reminded of not being uh, uh, only looking to our own interests. There's an a important picture that I would like to make you think about. The idea that it's only. That communicates two points. Some of us are really good at only seeing our own interests. Some of us are really good at making sure that we take care of our needs. And then there are some of us that will do things and forget the needs, or we will 
even sometimes think that we are better off or more humble because we do with less. That's false humility. It's a legalistic pride. So when we desire to understand from even Philippians uh, and 4, Paul talks about being content in all of his circumstances. And even Christ took time to, uh, to eat, to sleep, to spend time with God. He wasn't always with people. And so we know that there are things in which uh, sacrifice can be done in a very good way, but sacrifice can also be done in a bad way, in a way in which we are bringing glory to ourselves or we are doing things to so much so that we are actually detrimenting those that are closest to us because we are making an assumption or a choice to make a sacrifice that inevitably hurts those that are around us, our spouses, our children, um, uh, uh, the leadership teams that maybe we are in charge of. Within our own personal interests, too, that that's the easiest way we can find divisions within our ministries. And we desire, for me, for instance, running out with the youth, that I can find ways to try to elevate that program over another, to try to push aside something else, because in my opinion, it's more important. So the opposite, also into the interests of others. This is what I love about it. It's, this is actually a very simple point. This is why. Because it's a broad and a general description. There are no exact details of who others might be or what their interests might be, but it seems to lead to have a conclusion that you and I are supposed to be observant, right? Being observant of the needs of those around us and who these others might be. So whether we are thinking it from the truth of Romans 12, 5, and whether we are being called to rejoice with those who rejoice or to mourn with those who mourn, or whether we are being realizing that there's things that we shouldn't be doing because we might be creating a stumbling block uh, uh, from 14 of Romans. And then I also think, too, just in the basic truth of bearing one another's burdens, uh, knowing that this is a fulfillment of what Christ would have for us to do from Galatians. I, I find encouragement that we can find little pieces here to give us measurements of what that looks like, but it's brought on purpose. So it's not by my determination what their needs are. It's not by my determination of what I desire to give out, but it's about what God has called me to do, to look to the interests of others, to allow him to define that. So as we look at the do's and the don'ts, it makes it much more applica- uh, applicable. And theoretically, it makes it easier to kind of pan out where we think we should be. But I'd like to leave you with uh, 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 some concluding thoughts here. So now that we have a sem- sem- of a formula, so we can see where our results are, we're supposed to, like, if we have unity, we have these things. And these are the mot- things that motivate to us, and here are some of the practical ways in which those pan out. And that's encouraging, right? Because we have something to work with. So... Does that mean then that once we have all this correct behavior, that unity is just going to happen? No. Once again, it's called unity and humility for a reason. We see a big picture of where unity looks like within a church. But when it breaks down, it breaks down as the individual. And you might be the individual who's choosing to do everything right. And maybe you're not even doing it right just to be legalistic or to get the that a boy. And if that is true for you, that is encouraging, that is good, and you get to stand before God, and you get to be encouraged. You get to be able to be blessed because you know that you are doing what God has commanded you, that you are, in essence, by doing these right things, being made more like Christ. But as we talked about this formula, there's something it doesn't include. And there's a formula in what we're trying to come up with 
What it doesn't include is that, well, there's an individual's choice to pursue it. I feel like that's where we're supposed to have that collective sigh, like, You're breaking me down, Pastor Rob. You gave me all this hope and all this encouragement on how I can have unity within my church or unity with all those around me, but now you're telling me that they can mess it up. Yes, they can. So can you. That is the reality of life, and that we want to desire to actually be humble, or at least be thought of as humble, but the reality is that the cost might seem too high. And in this particular situation, if I'm choosing to love and to care and do all these things for the desire for unity, yet somebody chooses to mess it up, and I did everything right, well, am I out all of that work? Am I out all of that good things? Or, or am I just now stuck with my pain, my disappointment, my heartache? Because I'm still thinking to have unity, but this person still has a problem with me, and I don't understand because I did everything right. Well then if that's you, you'd be a little bit like me. I like to do things right. I do understand that legalism comes in multiple forms. And for Rob Lang, legalism comes in a form of desiring to do things right and expecting that the right result's going to happen. Two plus two should always equal four, right? This isn't some crazy postmodernism chaos where two plus two could equal five or Tuesday or yellow. I want it to equal four, And when it doesn't equal four, I am frustrated. I lose the unity within within myself because I think this doesn't make sense. I've tried to accomplish and, 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 and prepare for everything. But the thing that I find myself consistently forgetting is that everybody else has a choice. They can choose to do right or they can choose to do wrong. And so when we think upon ourselves and this desire to be humble, Rejoice if you are doing the correct thing and in your own humbleness accept that others have the ability to hurt you because they choose not to pursue unity. So where is your encouragement? I'm not going to leave you hanging. Your encouragement is found within Christ just with anything else. Your encouragement is found that within you have the ability to be able to stand before God knowing that there were great times in which you did the right thing not for your own selfish ambition, not for your own empty conceit, but for a desire to do what is right before you, uh, before God, and that you chose to allow legalism in your own way to go, and that you understood that there are consequences that you face of other people's sin actions, just like they face yours. So rejoice, and you have the opportunity to rejoice with those of you who choose to pursue in unity, and mourn when that doesn't take place. But as all things, there's always an end. There may be a point where everybody is able to have unity in a hard time or in a simple time. Um, but in the end, God's going to come back. Our sin nature will be obliterated and, you know, from the face of this earth, and we will be able to be rejoicing with him always because sin won't have any reign on any of our lives. And that's a beautiful, wonderful thing. And that's where our hope is, not in within man and making the right decision, but that God is still God regardless of what we do. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given to us today, the opportunity that we have to be able to uh, learn more about you, to be able to understand what you desire for us for unity, for what you desire for us for, um, for just good Christian living, to be an example of you. Because, Father, if we look back and see your son, the perfect Godhead, being able to live out in this life as a human being, did everything right, did everything perfect, Yet he still did not have unity with all man. 
It was man who put him on a cross. It was man who spit in his face. It was man who hurt him and have hurt your followers. So we understand that while there might not be hope within man to always make the right decision, there is always hope within you. And we thank you for the hope that we have to rest on. And we say these things in your son's precious name. Amen.